Soundstripe. The views expressed in this podcast are solely of the host and are meant to spark discussion. The podcast will also contain series and larger universe spoilers. This season, I will be discussing Sarah J. Mass's most ambitious series, The Throne of Glass series. This podcast will cover topics such as self-harm, depression, trust issues, and abuse. Listener discretion is advised, and this podcast is not suitable for younger listeners. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Bookly Podcast. I'm so excited. I am currently sitting right now in my closet because it's the only, um, I guess, insulated space that I really have in my house. And I have three cats that I need to keep away from me and a husband who is currently listening to an HBO documentary on full blast while on our Peloton. So, you know. The closet is going to be our podcast space for right now. Um, Thank you, everybody, for joining in and listening. Um, But before we dive in, I want to introduce myself and talk a little bit about what we're going to get into this season. So first and foremost, hi, my name is Natalie, um, and I've loved reading my entire life. Ever since I was a little girl, I would dive into books and get lost in worlds created by my favorite authors. Um, my mom can attest to this. Um, my favorite series was The Magic Treehouse and Nancy Drew when I was in elementary school. And then as we got into like middle and high school, um, we got into the usual suspects, you know, Twilight, the Mortal Instruments series, the Hunger Games, uh, the Beautiful Creatures series, etc, etc. Yes, I was that girl who learned archery during the Hunger Games series. And I actually uh, ended up learning a hobby that I still love to this day. Um, So... I will preface this by saying if there is a little bit of background noise, I apologize. As I mentioned, you know, we have a we have a full house here. We have three cats and two humans in 800 square feet. But without further ado, um, we're going to dive into this. So as I went into middle and high school, um, I went on a little bit of a break from reading um, when I was in college and post-college. You know, in college, I was really fortunate. I was in my college's honors college and I got to take a whole bunch of seminars. Um, They were these cool classes where, you know, I had one class called Dystopias and Utopias. Um, But as anybody who's in college probably knows, you get absolutely slammed with reading and you do not want to read or you don't have the bandwidth to read anything outside of what is assigned to you. Um, so I really didn't get into reading again until very recently. Um, earlier this year, I got sucked into book talk. And for those of you who don't know what book talk is, um, you obviously don't spend enough time on TikTok or you do not like reading. Um, anyways, I started learning about this series that I'm sure everybody has heard of at this point called A Court of Thorns and Roses. Uh, to say the least, I was hooked and I needed to know what these books were about. Um... I became obsessed as I started reading the series. You can ask my husband. I made it my entire personality. I had an Akatar themed birthday. Um, so I flew through that series. I started in April and I think I finished it in like mid-September of this year. Uh, well, I guess last year. It's because by the time you guys hear this, it will be 2024. I'm recording over Christmas break because I have nothing better to do. 
I immediately went into the Throne of Glass series and I just finished Crescent City. But the most amazing part of this whole journey was that I fell in love with reading again. For the first time in about 15 years, I felt sucked into a world and the characters and I felt like a little kid who needed to take their books everywhere with me. I would take them with me and I would read on my lunch breaks in a park near my office. That's how obsessed I was. So I've been toying with the idea of starting a podcast for a while, but I didn't know exactly what to start it on because, well, quite frankly, my life is kind of boring. <laughs> I don't do anything all that exciting. Um, so I'm like, well, I can't just talk about my life and I can't talk about my cats. Um, but I can talk about reading because I love reading. And, you know, if you're going to sit and talk about anything in long form content, it better be something that you like. So along the way, I want to talk about the lessons I've learned from these books, maybe get some recommendations from you guys on what to read, uh, do virtual book clubs. I'm not really sure, but we'll see where this takes us as we go down the road together. That being said, I'm going to start this first season of the podcast with the Throne of Glass series because at least to me, it is the strongest of the three Sarah J Mass series. And I think it's a really good foundation for the other series in the Massverse. The series also destroyed me emotionally. I have never, ever, ever cried over the characters in a book. I've cried over movies before, but never has a book just absolutely gutted me emotionally like this series has. Um, I've never grappled with the characters the way I did. And I've never honestly hated a main character as much as I did when I first met Selena. Um, she was not likable to me. I've never grappled with the characters the way I did with the characters in this series, and I've never hated a main character as much as I did when I met Selena. I know some people's gripes with this series is that it's difficult to get into because of the world building, but I think reading this one first, at least in my opinion, gives a good basis for the broader universe, and since we have the next Crescent City book coming out next month, I thought staying in the Massverse was a good place to start the podcast simply because it's topical and, you know, it. most people at least know of the books. Um, so I saw a TikTok video that has a really good explanation of how the series works work in the Massverse. Um, I don't remember the creator's name, so I'm really, really sorry. I will do better in the future as the podcast goes along to notate um, creators' names of, you know, who of content that is inspiring my content or if I'm citing someone else's work, basically. But the way she explained it was all three series are like best friends. They hang out all the time, they intermingle, and there's a lot of crossover. However, Akatar and Crescent City are also sisters but throne of glass she can stand alone throne of glass is kind of like that older friend who stings, still hangs out still hangs out with her young younger friends but she's got her life a little more together so even if you don't read any of the other series you can completely enjoy the throne of glass series on its own while the other two you might need a little bit more context to understand especially at the end of crescent city 2 and as we get into a court of Wings in Ruin and A Court of Silver Flame. I've read the entirety of Akatar, or at least 
Akatar and Crescent City, like the first trilogy and maybe, you know, getting to Frost and Starlight to fully understand what's going on in those worlds. We have not seen the crossover of the Throne of Glass world with the Akatar and the Crescent City world, but who knows, you know, Crescent City 3 is coming out in, at this point, by the time this airs, way less than 30 days, so who knows what Sarah J Mass has up her sleeve. So I'm also going to try to convince you of my own personal theories in this podcast and some of my favorite parts of other podcasts I listen to about books are segments about fan theories so as we go along here if anybody has any theories that they would love to share um please send them to me and we can talk about them on the air we can go over them I don't know maybe we'll start doing these video format I'm not sure in this episode we are going to start with Assassin's Blade Now, there may be some of you that disagree with this. Honestly, I read Assassin's Blade first. I read it before Throne of Glass. I didn't even read it fourth. I read it first. And it makes total sense to me to read it in this order. I think it also explains why it makes the series difficult to get into if you don't read this first. Because you have no idea what's going on if you read Throne of Glass first. Assassin's Blade is kind of like Selena's inner monologue and it 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 is a really well-written prequel. However, I agree that there's merit to not starting with Assassin's Blade cuz it is more like how Selena thinks and we'll see as we dive into her as a character. Selena likes to d- suppress things and she reveals even to people closest to her information in bits and pieces. We're going to see the events in Assassin's Blade are things that she has come to terms with over the course of the series and that she is slowly revealing to us as readers like she would someone in her life. She never reveals the full plot of anything to anyone in her life. At this point, I will also divulge that I did not do the tandem read for Empire of Storms and Tower of Dawn. However, I'm debating attempting it for the podcast. We'll see. That's like thousands of pages from now. (laughs) We'll get there. The Assassin's Blade novella is a series of five short stories that intertwine to tell the story of Selina Sardothian. Before anybody comes at me for trying to pronounce these names, it would be greatly appreciated if someone has phonetic uh, pronunciations of some of these names as we go along. I will also try to look them up um, as we go along, but for like the basic names, please don't come at me. We tell the story of Selina Sardothian, heir to the King of Assassins. For this episode, I'm going to break down the book into basically the units. So each short story will be its own episode for this book. That may change in the future, but if someone's reading along, I will always let you know where to read along to. Honestly, I kind of hope that some of you are and this is your first time or even your second time or your third time. I don't care. Um, But if it is your first time reading, it would make me so happy to see someone comment along in real time as they are reading. The Assassin's Blade novella is a series of five short stories that intertwine to tell the story of Selina Sardothian, heir to the King of Assassins. So without further ado, here we go. Part one, The Assassin and the Pirate Lord. I want to start off by saying that while I hated Selena at first, at the end of it all, Selena is probably my favorite main character ever written. I love her story. I resonated with her so much, even though we share little common life experience, but she's just so well written. 
Sarah J. Mass is an amazing character writer, and her characters have such great stories to them, such great development. They're also compelling, and very few characters are left underdeveloped. And the ones that are, it's because they really truly do not serve any purpose to her story if someone is given any iota of attention to detail or like even a full name this person this person is immediately super important we open the book and of course we see a map it wouldn't be a good fantasy book if we didn't have a map we're in a land called Aralea, and we can see that the continent is filled with various countries or states We immediately open to Selena sitting in the Assassin's Keep and she describes herself as dressed in her best night clothes that can be bought. She also says that she's far younger than everyone in the room and the only female there. She describes her pride in her appearance and beauty. She goes as far as saying her beauty is a weapon. This is a common theme where beauty often equals power or status but she also says it's a vulnerability to her. I also want to take this time to point out that Selena is one of the girlies. I would imagine that if Selena had access to technology and to book talk, uh, she would probably be doing something similar to this. Uh, She loves to read, and as we go through the series, we will see that love grow for her. Um, So Selena, if you could listen to this, it would be kind of awesome and I feel like we would be friends as much as Selena can be friends with anybody. Selena's in a meeting with the other assassins of the keep and their boss of sorts, Arabin Hamill. We are introduced as well to Sam, her peer in every sense except that she thinks Sam sees her as competition because she is Arabin's protege and heir as the king of assassins while Sam is second. We learn that a mission for an assassin, Gregory, has gone wrong and that he and Ben were killed during the mission. More importantly is how Selena reacts to the news. She's furious about the deaths, but even more furious that the bodies were not retrieved and brought back to the keep for a proper burial. When she's challenged, she gets angry and physically lashes out. While reading this book and most of the rest of the series, I had to check my reactions to Selena. I had to actively remember that she is a teenage girl in this book, and a lot of the times she reacts exactly how a teenage girl would react. I'm sitting here at 27 and honestly, looking back on it, can't judge her for how she reacts when I remember how I would have reacted at that age. She's 16 in this book, and the only difference for Selena is that she is extremely lethal for her age while most teenagers are not. She's an assassin, Pair that with teenage angst and purely female rage. And yeah, there's a reason she's the best assassin ever and has bested men far older than her. I think it's also important that we remember that when Sarah J. Mass was writing this book, she herself was extremely young and therefore would write this from the perspective similar to a teenage girl when she herself was not much older than There's another side that we see to her in this chapter that we will see become both a core value for Selena, but also a fatal flaw for her character, at least I think so. When she cares for someone, she goes to the end of the earth for them. She will put everything else aside, even self-preservation, to help someone she cares about. 
This is a pretty classic character trait for someone who is the hero or heroine of their story. But unlike another character, recent, we're not going to get into recent right now, but my opinion is more morally gray than Selena is despite her occupation of being an assassin and recent being high lord, Selena's reasons for going so far out of her way come from a place of fear and true love for the people in her life. Reeson definitely loves the people in his life. His motives are similar, but Reeson can be far more self-serving than Selena will ever be, in my opinion. The next chapter opens exactly two months, three days, and eight hours later, and we find Selena waiting for someone named Captain Rolf, Lord of the Pirates. We also learn that Sam has been sent as her watchdog on this mission, by Arobin. Selena is wearing a cloak and a mask that conceals everything except for a little bit of her hair. We learn that her identity has to be kept a secret even by the other assassins in the keep. I personally love how haughty Selena is in this scene. I love that she's mad at someone for being late while also admitting that she herself was already late to a meeting. I love that self-importance and thinking that her schedule is the only one that matters. I love that she goes through all of Captain Rolf's things while they are waiting for their meeting. Also, please note, dear reader, that there is no detail too small for Sarah J. Mass to mention something. It will come back. Once I learned this, I had to double guess everything that I read thinking oh is this that important is this does this mean something are we gonna see this again just i i will let you know the ones that are important (laughs) sam and selena are there because they thought assassins of the keep had been killed by captain rolf but through discussion with him they learn that arabin actually wants to start a slave trade and rolf is the one who's going to be selling the slaves to them Selena's disgusted immediately and begins to question why Arabin would even get into the slave trade. More importantly, she starts questioning Arabin himself and his motive. We should also note here that the assassins that Arabin keeps are kind of like slaves themselves. Selena and the other assassins get paid by Arabin, but a portion of their wages goes to paying him back for everything he's bought and provided for them. And when, if and when, I should say, they completely pay him back, then they maybe earn their freedom and can leave the Assassin's Guild if they choose. However, they can never be in direct competition with Arabin in Ardalan. So it's kind of like indentured servitude, basically. Although Selena acts very self-important and vain during this scene, we see that she's clearly upset about the prospect of the slave trade. Slaves, she spat dragging a hand through her braided hair, her fingers caught in the plate. What business does Arabin have getting involved in the slave trade? We're better than that. We don't need that money. This establishes Selena's moral compass. Despite her being an assassin, she sees the assassin part as a necessary means to an end. It was a way for her to survive and the only option she had as a child to avoid death. The people she may be killing may deserve the deaths, and we will see that Selena is not above killing if she deems it justified. 
but she can't get over the slaves because they are innocent. For this reason, Selena decides not to go through with the slave trade. She just decides that she's not transporting the slaves back to Riffold. In fact, she's going to blow up the entire plan. During dinner with Rolf, we learn a little bit more about the world of Aralea. We learn that eight years ago, the continent was conquered by Ardalan, and that the Fae were banished, and magic had vanished from Aralea with them. During that dinner, Rolf catches on to Selena's arrogance. He advises her that someone will always be waiting for her to slip up and capitalize on that. She knows that she's the best assassin, and to our knowledge, it seems like she hasn't messed up too many times before. While Selena has been tested as an assassin, she doesn't have some of the life experience that some of her companions have. She hasn't had to struggle just yet. And I want to emphasize on the giant three dots after just yet. But Selena's arrogance will come back to bite her in the ass. We will get there. <laughs> Selena convinces Rolf to allow her to come with him to inspect the slaves the next day. Because of her profession, we know Selena has to be observant. She notices all the methods of how the island is kept safe. She notices Shipbreaker, which is apparently this giant chain that is strung across the port, basically. Um, at least this is how I'm, you know, seeing it as I'm reading this again. It's this giant chain that is strung from one catapult tower to the other that can be lowered and raised through levers to not let ships into the port. Or if a ship tries to leave before it's supposed to, it'll basically just destroy it. There are the two watchtowers, and these watchtowers also have catapults. Selena is observant, but also smart, as she formulates a plan to free the slaves upon noticing these obstacles. For those of you reading for the first time, I want you to make note of a passage. Rolf clenched the hilt of his sword. It glinted in the muted light, and she admired the intricate pommel, shaped like a sea dragon's head. That's all. We'll get there. I'm not giving any spoilers right now. It's too early. Selena returns to her room after the meeting with Rolf, and Sam has brought her breakfast, as she demanded, may we add. Sam knows she's lying about something, but she keeps her ideas to herself for the moment. Sam has paid a good deal of attention to Selena, more than most, even if they grew up together. Sam and Selena are taken the next day to the slaveholding facility after dinner with Rolf. They are both instantly taken aback by the smell of the holding cell and seeing the actual slaves, seeing the children there with their parents. Beside her, Sam let out a breath, his face wan. If the smell wasn't bad enough, the people in the cells, clinging to the bars or cowering against the walls, are clutching their children, children, ripped at every shred of her being. Again, we see Selena's humanity and compassion come through, despite her profession. She'd forgotten how she must appear, faceless, cloak waving behind her, striding past them like death itself. Some of the slaves even sketched invisible marks in the air, warding off whatever evil they thought she was. So, 
here's another little tidbit that you're going to want to keep with you. Seeing people make these invisible marks in the air will become incredibly important because we learn that the majority of the slaves are from, and I am going to absolutely butcher this, someone please, 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 please come at me for how this is pronounced. Yulwi? 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 Sarah J. Mass. Why? Why so many names that are hard to pronounce? But anyways, and the people of Yulwi have powers powers older than magic that they have guarded and kept secret. We learn that Ardalan is buying slaves to power their empire. If slaves aren't sold privately, some slaves may end up in private households or even in the courtesan houses of Ardalan. If not, they are sent to the labor camps for the empire, Calcutta and Endovir. After the meeting, Selina goes down to the beach, more like storms off to the beach, and Sam follows her. But she's not ready to talk just yet, so she decides to just beat the living crap out of Sam. We'll see going forward that Selina's main coping mechanism is aggression and physical behavior. She clears her mind through fighting, training, moving her body in general. Once Sam basically pins her down and incapacitates her, she finally starts talking. (laughs) She tells him she might do something as foolish as freeing the slaves. Sam doesn't hesitate. He agrees to her plan, but is still worried about what will happen when Arabin finds out. Sam suggests running away. We could just not return to Riftold. Selena shuts down this idea. Even if they did manage to leave, even if they changed their names, and Arabin would hunt them down for the rest of their lives. He also suggests that there are things he and Selena do not know. Why did Arabin want them out of the city right at this moment? Sam is questioning Arabin, questioning if he is someone Selena should be trusting. At the end of the chapter, we see Selina still walking down the beach. She gets a whiff of a familiar wind, and here we learn that Selina was not born in Ardalan. She walked until a surprisingly cold breeze swept past her. She halted. Slowly, Selina turned north, toward the source of the breeze, which smelled of a faraway land she hadn't seen in eight years. Pine and snow a city still in winter's grasp. She breathed it in, staring across the leagues on a lonely black ocean, seeing somehow, seeing that distant city that had once long ago been her home. We joined Selena and Sam the next day, walking through town. They are honing their plan and gaining as much information as possible. From the fishermen along the docks, they learn that the rowboats tied to the pier belong to no one in particular. From flirting with the harlots, Sam learned that every once in a while, Rolf covered the tab for all the pirates in his service. At 4 p.m., Selina and Sam were on board their slave ship with Rolf, counting the slaves coming on board. They questioned Rolf a bit about the slaves, but found Rolf not to be as hospitable to their questions today. Later that evening, though, Selina and Sam took two of those rowboats out to the slave ships, the Golden Wolf and the Loveless. 
Once on board, the duo begins disabling the guards and tying them up. They took the captains and tied them, threatening them that if they did not help the slaves navigate the waters around Skulls Bay, then they were as good as dead and the slaves could do what they wanted with them. After taking the captain's keys, Selina searched the hold for the slave who spoke common tongue earlier. She undoes the shackles at his sides and feet and instructs him to translate for her while freeing the woman next to him. The slave, Dia, lets the slaves know that they are going to be free. They can't leave the decks. The guards are unconscious and the captain is to help navigate our ship through the harbor, should the slaves choose to act and work to free themselves. The slaves question Selina about the chain and the watchtowers. She promises to buy them as much time as she can and that she will handle those two obstacles. She warns them that they need to be rowing out into the harbor no later than dawn or it will be too late for them to make through their escape through Skull's Bay. She instructs Dia to do the same on the other ship and prepare the slaves there to move at dawn as well. Back on land, Selina and Sam have joined Rolf at the tavern at which they have started a celebratory tab for all. They play into the revelry by pretending to get drunk and listen to Captain Rolf's stories. Well into the early hours of the morning, Selina suggests playing cards with the men and ensures that she ensures that the ale keeps flowing. And by the time the clock struck five, the pirate lord was in a foul mood. Sam gives Selina the signal and she trips a pirate in the tavern who spills his drink on an already belligerent man, who in turn tried to punch him in the face, but hit the man next to him instead. By luck, at that moment, a trick card fell out of a man's sleeve, a prostitute slapped a pirate wench, and the tavern exploded into a brawl. I just love this piece of writing so much. I love the sentence structure and the imagery that this little passage conveys. <laughs> Through the mayhem, Selina and Sam escape the tavern and find the brawl has extended into the town. They get as far as a few streets when someone greets them out of the shadows. Going somewhere? It was Rolf. The next few passages are going to be straight quotes because the writing is just too good. Also, I'll try my best with the voices. I suck at accents. When I play Dungeons and Dragons with my friends, I never even attempt to do an accent for my character because I know I can't keep it consistent through the entire campaign. Selina bowed her head to the pirate lord. I'd rather not get my hands dirty in this in that mess. Rolf's lips formed a thin line. Funny, given that you tripped the man who started the bra. From the corner of her eye, Selina can see that the slave ships have readied their oars and are about to start moving. Rolf notices the flicker in her eyes and sees the ships. I am going to kill you, Selina Sardothian. Selina does the only thing she knows that will distract him. She takes off her cloak and mask and reveals herself to Rolf and gives a signal to Sam to run and get the chain down before the slave ships reach it. And now we are going to deal with our very first fragile male ego of the entire series. Rolf is outraged that he was sent two teenagers to deal with and even more outraged that one is a teenage girl. Selina began circling the pirate lord, and he circled her too. He wasn't drunk in the slightest. In an earlier chapter, Selina concedes that Rolf is a good liar, almost as good as her, 
And we are seeing now that he was playing the game that she and Sam were the entire time. However, Selena always recognizes game. Game recognizes game. She didn't need to kill him right away, just distract him long enough to prevent him from getting his men together and keep them away from the ships. What's the plan, Rolf asked her? To free them, she said. Fool, Rolf spat and fainted so well that even she couldn't avoid the rake of his sword across her arm. Warm blood seeped through her black tunic. She hissed as she darted away a few steps. A careless mistake. This is the third time Selina admits to making a mistake. Previously, she had missed a detail regarding Sam. Selina's not above admitting she's wrong. However, she admonishes, admonishes herself very harshly when she does mess up. And we will see this trait develop as the series goes along. You think freeing 200 slaves will solve anything? Rolf asks her. There are thousands of slaves out there. Are you going to march into Calcutta and Endovir and free them too? We will see this exact point echoed later. The labor camps will become a major pain point in the series, but the specific request to have the slaves freed by Selena will come back. Remember, no detail, no matter how small, will be brought back in a Sarah J. Mass novel. Not giving him the luxury of a warning, she threw herself at him. She ducked, twirling, and Rolf barely turned before she slammed the pommel of her sword into the back of his head. Selina turns her attention to reaching Sam and making sure he's gotten to the watchtower. However, as he is hacking away at the lever for the chain, she realizes no one person can move that chain alone. Sam slung himself down to the catapult level of the tower. He hurled himself against the rotating platform of the tower, pushing, pushing, pushing until the catapult began to move, not toward the sea, but toward the tower itself, toward the spot in the stone wall where the chain was anchored. Sam raised his sword and brought it down on the catapult rope. It came down so quickly she could barely follow the motion. And with a boom that echoed across the bay, the chain collapsed, taking out a chunk of the tower, taking out the spot where she'd last seen Sam. She made to rush into the half-wrecked tower, but a dagger pressed against her neck. You make a move, and I'll spill your throat on the ground, said Rolf. She got herself out of his hold and brought Rolf to his knees, grabbing him by the collar and presents him with two letters. You are going to sign both of these and stamp each with your seal. I refuse, Rolf seethed. One is a letter to my master saying that the deal is over and you won't be sending him any slaves. And if you catch him buying slaves from anyone else, then, when you, then you will send your entire armada after him. The second says you will never, ever sell another slave again and that Skull's Bay is forevermore a safe haven for any slaves fleeing the empire. Rolf practically had steam blowing out of his ears. I won't sign either of those, you stupid girl. Do you know who I am? Insert fragile, wounded male ego here. Selena doesn't bat an eye for a second. I memorized your signature when I was in your office that first day. It won't be hard to forge. And as for your seal ring, 
she removed something from her pocket. I also took that the first day in your office, in case I needed it. Turns out I was right. This moment right here is where I went from hating Selena as a character to absolutely loving her. In chapter 2, Selena mentions that Rolf's signature was nothing more than a few loops and jagged peaks, not hard to forge. Rolf asks her, Why go through so much trouble for slaves? Because if we don't fight for them, who will? This is a character trait we'll see from Selena. Yes, she will kill. Yes, she will get her hands dirty. But if she believes she's justified in helping someone who can't help themselves, she will stop at nothing to help them, sometimes against her best self-interest. Rolf signs and seals the letters, but also lets her know that if she ever steps foot in his territory again, her life would be forfeit. Selina knocks out Rolf again and immediately goes looking for Sam. It had been her plan. If one of them had to die for it, it should have been her, not him. This will be another pattern we will see Selena develop. She has to be the martyr. She has to be the one to make sacrifices in every situation. No one else can give up anything to help the cause. It always has to be her. We will see the bigger picture of her motives for acting like this in future books, but for right now, just remember that she has to be the hero 100% of the time. Sam eventually emerges from the rubble, a little worse for wear, but alive, and Selena grabs him and wraps her arms around him. Sam stiffened, but after a heartbeat, his arms came around her. It was such a Sam look, the twinkle of mischief, the hint of exasperation, the kindness that would always, always make him a better person than she was. Also note, Selena always believes she's a horrible person. She's the worst in her head. I guess like any of us when we were teenagers. I'm the worst. I suck. Everybody else is better than me. Yeah, that's basically her entire inner monologue. Come on, Sardothian. If you're done liberating slaves and destroying pirate cities, then let's go home. And that is where we will leave off for today. Please read The Assassin and the Healer. Or until page 116 in the paperback. If you like this episode, please leave a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow along on Instagram and TikTok for even more bookly content. Thank you so much again for listening, and we hope to see you back here again soon. Bye!